Chapter 16. Soul Lake. They travelled fast and free on an open, grassy plain. To Lynx's disappointment, they passed many small gatherings of partying people. He whimpered. Ajax's pig, Evie, panted like a dog to keep pace with Blue. Who would like to make a request? The sing-box fairy said, rattling her box, which was tied to Blue's large collar. To speak to the fairy, Katie asked Blue to slow down. What's your name? she asked, leaning towards the box. Zero, 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 one, she responded proudly. That's a number. You must have a name. No, all I've ever known is my box. I'm the first sing-box fairy maid. You weren't maid. You're a living person. I'm not sure what living means. Jane whispered to Katie, the history of sing-box fairies, she said the poor fairy families, who could not pay enough time to the bureaucrats, would ask their elder, old enough to work children, to go and live with people who had more than enough time. Their talent for singing would often be employed. The fairies were only meant to work for a few seasons, but often they chose never to return. Can we give you a name? I'd like to, asked Katie. The singbox fairy pondered and said, I'm proud to be the first in the line. Zero, 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 one is my name. The rest of the group was silent. The feeling amongst them all was pity. How about Primer? said Alec. What does that mean? said the Singbox Fairy. It means the first leading. I like that. Katie said. Primer, how about you choose the playlist? I want to hear your favourite songs. I've never chosen before. Huey was obsessed with Wham! Now you have the choice. Well... Sometimes when Huey had put Feder in his stable at night, I would sing Backstreet Boys and take that quietly to myself. You know them? Yeah, I love their songs. My mum did too. She played their albums all the time with me in the car. They bounded and trotted on and Primer played I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys and Back For Good by Take That. After several albums of the Backstreet Boys and Take That, everybody knew the words off by heart. All sung along with Primer, apart from Wraith, who had wished they'd both never been formed. Jane and Primer sung together, and their voices paired perfectly. Their chords and notes galvanised to form a surround sound that could be heard for miles around. Blue and Evie slowed their pace. They had been riding all day, and both ferrying animals needed to recoup their energy. Wraith had decided that it was probably time to start looking for a place to sleep for the night. The sun was a third of the way from setting. The ground began to vibrate, and Wraith asked Primer to stop singing and Jane to fly higher to see what it was. Jane, from high up in the sky, shouted, Four riders are making their way to us! Four riders mounted on horses caught up with the two tired animals. The horses were tall and muscular. Their riders were dressed all in black leather. They each wore a long black leather jacket and wore bandanas and black cowboy hats. Two of the riders who wore leather cowboy hats and disguised their faces with scarfs. Without an invite, they trotted next to Evie. The rider who wasn't wearing a scarf trotted next to Blue and eyed Katie intensely. Wraith scowled back at him. Can we help? said Wraith with an angry undertone. Who is playing dat music? Why do you ask? said Wraith. It was whack, said the rider, and the rest laughed with him. Hey, that's my music said Katie. What's a fine lady like you riding with Manny Man? They are all my friends. What? 
You ain't wid any of them. Wid? You mean, are any of them my boyfriend? No. Oh, I rate you. You roll wit many, man. What language are you speaking? Wraith angrily asked. Path. I've never heard of it. That's because you ain't met a solid path man before. There's a reason why I haven't, and I don't intend to meet you. Toddle on, please, said Wraith, gritting his teeth. The other riders circled and wove between Evie and Blue. They were quite obviously curious of Katie's group and their belongings. There's no need to be like that. We're just being calm, said the rider opposite Wraith. Wraith asked Blue to stop and Ajax halted Evie in response. What's your name? said Wraith. Blade 100. Yours? Wraith. What kind of name is dat? Sounds like a name for a toilet brush. The rest of the riders laughed. They were growing more in confidence. Lynx whispered in Wraith's ear, Don't get angry! I know these guys. They like trouble. I'm going to give you an option, Blade 100. Leave now or step off your horse and I'll show you what it feels like to be wiped out by a toilet brush. There was a pause as all the riders waited for what option their leader was going to choose. The chief pathman stared deep into Wraith's eyes. Wraith found it amusing. His stare was weak compared to a starving 450-kilogram polar bear. The chief pathman tuttered through his teeth and said, This waste man ain't scared. He will be, though. Come, men, move. He kicked his horse with his stirrups and galloped off. The other pathmen followed suit. As they rode off, the chief shouted back, I'm going to make you 101. Just watch, waste man. What peculiar men. If I wasn't on a quest, I'd have enjoyed teaching them some manners. Hey, good joke earlier. That's the first one I've heard you make, said Alec. Lynx, who was quite anxious, said, Hey, Wraith, there's no need to play it tough. Those guys are serious. They're always starting trouble, and they don't come to party. I'm not afraid of those village fools. Hey, I understand you're a tough martial artist, but I've heard how nasty those guys can get. They don't play fair, said Lynx. Ajax said, He's right. Wraith, they're not my cup of tea either, but I know of them. They've never given me any trouble because they know my dad. We're best ignoring and avoiding them. Thanks for the advice, gentlemen, but I won't be intimidated by such men. I'll give them the iron fist every time. Let's set up camp here at the edge of this forest. I think we should move on. The path men know we're here, said Lynx. Lynx's words fell on Wraith's deaf ears. Everyone dismount. I won't have such silly nonsense affect the quest. They settled for the night at the edge of the forest. Alec began sniffing the air. He was convinced that through the trees were vast amounts of water and plenty of fish. He reassured the group he was right and he'd be back soon, bearing fish for everyone to eat. Wraith told him to go, only as far as his voice would travel, and a flare could be spotted. Alec agreed and set off. The sun had set and nightfall had arrived. They made a fire to keep themselves warm. Wraith asked Katie for a moment, away from the group. Katie agreed reluctantly. She was having fun where she was. Katie. Wraith? We need to talk about what happened during the freeze. Yes, I know. I behaved like a pigeon. Pigeon? Someone who gets caught easily by life's predators. I see. You have had time to reflect. Festavia has a dangerous side, 
You must respect that, or you will... Yes, I know. I'll move on to somewhere, or nowhere, where no one knows. Wraith paused for a moment. Katie stared impatiently back at him. Katie, can you see a pattern in your choices? Wraith said in a reasoning tone. I was unlucky. I now know I need to stay with the group, Katie said abruptly. How do I know you won't get led easily again? Led? I chose to go with Huey. I made the mistake. I see it differently. You throw away your senses for a man you knew nothing about. He seemed okay. So why did you end up lost and all alone? Katie quietened and scrunched her face. She said, Where were you? My protector? Wraith paused and studied her expression. Katie had transformed from a captivating, intriguing woman to an angry adolescent child. He said, Now you are deflecting the blame. I am here to protect you, but I can't be responsible for your actions. You're a woman, and I am a man, who are both equal. Neither one commands the other, Katie. You have a responsibility for yourself, and most importantly, the ones that you influence. Did Jane deserve to be lost? Did Alec and Blue and myself need to risk our lives? Jane chose to come with me. No, Jane came with you because she knew you weren't to be reasoned with. And she looks up to you. You had a responsibility for her. Okay, I am a bad person then. Maybe I don't deserve to return to Earth. Now you're being melodramatic. Katie giggled and said, Wraith, you've learned humour. I guess I have. Some of these events have been my fault too. I have tried to be something I'm not. I believed I could keep you safe no matter what. But in reality, it's not possible. I can't keep up with you, Katie. Katie giggled once more. That's what my mum used to say. When she'd take me to the park, I'd run from one group to another, making new friends whilst she ran after me. You seem very good at making friends. Not now. People don't like me any more. That's not what I've seen. Because of you, our group has grown uncontrollably large. You like control, don't you, Wraith? Wraith stopped midway through sentence. She continued, You've never been analysed back, have you? No one has taken the time. Or been allowed to. Katie and Wraith's conversation came to a halt. This was untrodden ground for him. Katie, reading Wraith's awkwardness, ended the moment by hugging him. She rested her head on his shoulder, and Wraith, after a while, squeezed her back. The embrace lasted a few moments when it was interrupted by Oi oi! from Alec, who had returned from his fishing trip, carrying several succulent fat fish. He skipped towards the crowded campfire, proudly displaying his catch. Great work! You must be well chuffed, said Lynx. That was the best fishing I've ever done. The lake is teeming with fish, but the fish wasn't the best thing about it. What could possibly be better than fishing? Link said playfully. When I cast my rod, I heard a beat. I thought it was a rave nearby. Go on, said Lynx. Then a woman arose from the water, and joined by a trio of fairies, she hovered in the middle of the lake. Each time the woman clapped, the water rippled and splashed. Were you not frightened? asked Jane. No, because she started to sing. Her voice quelled my fear and replaced it with happiness and joy. When the fairies joined in, fish jumped from the water and bit my line. It was the best experience I've had. She sung I want to dance with somebody by Whitney Houston, and I shouted, I'll dance with you. She wasn't in reach, but I could see and hear her. 
She was amazing. No way, said Lynx. Wraith and Katie had just joined the group. Wraith raised an eyebrow and said whilst taking his place by the fire, Have I missed something? Guys, guys! Lynx had to take a moment to compose himself and then he continued, We are only camping next to Soul Lake. I didn't catch any soul, said Alec. No, it's not about the fish. The lake plays the emotion you need to hear. What's cool about the lake is every season it moves to somewhere new and unknown. Soul Lake is personal to you, which means if found, you must visit it alone. Perched from her log, Katie beamed with excitement and said, Does that mean we get a private concert from our favourite singer? I'm not sure, my lovely. I've never found it. I know the lake has a purpose. It's meant to enlighten you. Between the crackling and burning embers of the fire, the group discussed the order of the lake visits. Wraith asked to go first, because he wanted to go to sleep early. He said he'd be quick, because he wasn't too interested. Lynx had the second visit, then Ajax, Jane, and finally Katie. It was going to be a long night. Wraith made his way through several towering fir trees. From the trees' ridged bark, moss strangely grew in all directions. Strange, because Wraith knew moss should grow mainly on the north or the south side. Enlarged forest ferns shielded his path ahead. Alec had instructed him to walk straight, so with faith he did. He pulled apart a cluster of ferns to reveal a circular lake lit by the stars. Wraith was taken aback by its beauty. Vestavia was a beautiful place, but until now he had little time to appreciate it. Wraith could feel his brain slowing and unloading the weight of the quest from his mind. He was totally alone, and he liked it. The grass around the lake was ankle height, he thought. Walter must have forgotten and neglected this area. He rolled up his loose cotton trousers and sat at the edge, dangling his feet in the water. Wraith wasn't waiting for a performance. He was enjoying a moment of peace and self-reflection. This was his second trip to Festavia, and he was tired from stress. He recounted his first visit. He and another woman from Earth had been on a similar quest. He failed because they never met the organiser, and she moved on to where he assumed wasn't Earth. The memory invoked feelings of sadness and frustration, which manifested into anger. He wasn't used to letting his mind roam free, and when it did, it would seek unfinished battles to fight. He gripped a fistful of grass and his veins pulsed from his forearms. He'd become cross at himself. His anger was subdued by a faint noise. He couldn't hear what the noise was, or where it was coming from, but it was growing in pitch. The sound of a violin transposed itself. Wraith became hyper-aware and sat upright. If he'd been a cat, his ears would be twitching. A large stage arose from the middle of the lake. Water drained from the drenched musicians that sat on wooden antique chairs fixed to a floating stage. Four large trombones made a deep, loud drone, which blow-dried the wet musicians dry. Wraith was mesmerised. He'd never seen or heard such a thing. The conductor who stood precariously on the middle of the floating stage shouted, We shall now play Violin Concerto Number 3, Third Rondu, Allegro. The conductor, dressed in a full tuxedo, twiddled his baton and commenced the music. Wraith could feel his brain come alive. He felt a surge of energy race around his head. Feelings and emotions were summoned from rooms locked deep within his mind. The grass he had originally strangled was now free and being stroked by his calm hand. He sat calmly for many symphonies and lost track of the time. He had never spent time this way. 
His mind freely projected images from his past and layered them with emotion. Each time an image left his mind, he gained a new understanding and resolve. He moved memories away from the locked prison they came from and delivered them to a new room, called Experience. The concert tapered down in pitch and came to an end, with fireworks erupting from beneath the water and shooting into the sky. Wraith was not aware of how much time had passed, a unique experience to him. Classical music had organised his mind. As he returned to the campfire, Ajax shouted, "'About time! You've been gone ages! Stop in the woods for a big number two. In a passive state, Wraith quaintly smiled in response. Lynx's eyes were beaming. He was behaving like he really needed a wee and couldn't keep still. His legs took long, fast strides towards Wraith. When he reached him, he bent down, and Wraith saw his own reflection in Lynx's shades. "'Tell me, bro, what happened? What's it like?' asked Lynx. "'Lynx, my good friend, it played music which I've never heard. I feel changed for the better.' "'Yes, brav, that's the lake. It works wonders. Right, my turn. I've got to love and leave you,' said Lynx, as he ran at full speed precariously moving his legs in all directions into the woods. "'Lynx, do you want me to help guide you?' shouted Katie. Nah, babe, I can feel my way. There's so much energy to follow. Wraith took his place at the campfire and looked at each of the group's faces. They were all, apart from Katie, eager to hear his experience. Jane fluttered high above the fire and landed on his shoulder. So, Wraith, we're all dying to hear what happened, said Jane. I don't want to spoil it for you. I feel the lake wants it to be personal. It has changed my perception on a few things. So cryptic, Wraith. You do seem relaxed. I like the new you. And the old one, of course, said Jane. Ajax was talking very fast and said, I just can't wait. I hope it plays the craziest drum and bass. And he started singing an improvised drum and bass rap. Do you like it? Hold tight. Lock it in. Sung Ajax. What on Vestavia is that? said Jane. It's drum and bass MCing. Well, it's a bit of UK garage too. I'll mix them. I don't want to be rude, but could you save that for the lake? said Jane politely. From just away from the fire where Blue slept could be heard. One time, yeah, this is for my team. Yes, Prima! shouted Ajax and both Prima and Ajax performed a special fusion of drum and bass and garage, whilst Jane sighed and laughed. Ajax asked Prima to come out of her box, but she still apprehensively refused. He unclipped her sing box from Blue and placed the box onto a vertically standing log, so she was elevated to his level. Prima, can you do the instrumentals and I'll do the emceeing? Yes, I'd like to do that, Prima said whilst popping her head from the box. She could see the others sitting in a semicircle around the campfire, curiously staring at her. Jane flew and sat by her box and said, Can I sing too? Yeah, let's get ready. You're going to be blown away by UK Garage. It's so old school, it's underground now. Prima, please play Do You Really Like It by DJ Pied Piper and the Masters of Ceremonies. Ajax cupped one of his hands to sound like a microphone and he sang into it in a deep voice. Jane sung the parts which Ajax didn't, and between the three of them, they recreated a popular UK garage track. Katie sat fixed to her log. 
She smiled and said, I've never heard such music. It must be way before my time. Ajax shook his head and said, You need to get in the know, Katie. And with both his hands, he marched on the spot and pointed to the sky. Ajax began to rap again, with a really deep voice. Katie giggled and laughed. Soon she was up dancing too. How do you dance to it? she asked. The boys march on the spot, and the girls, well, they pout and wiggle and ignore the fellas. Sounds interesting, she laughed, and she began to dance. Ajax stopped rapping, and Prima continued with the instrumental. He was taken a little aback by how well Katie could dance. Yeah, that's better than most do it, said Ajax, blushing slightly. To the sound of snares and cymbals made by Prima, Katie moved and danced to the two-step beat. Katie, you're missing something. You need this, said Ajax, and he passed her a plastic straw with a bend near the end. A straw? That's thoughtful of you. I dropped mine, said Katie. No, it's to put behind your ear, and the bend looks like a microphone. All garage girls do it. Katie giggled and tucked the straw into the fold of her ear and under her long hair. The straw curved around to her mouth. Katie mimed the rhyming deep lyrics with Ajax. Delighted, Ajax said, Yeah, Katie, now you're a proper garage girl. After multiple garage mixes, Lynx returned from the forest. His grin was intermittent. He walked back to the campfire deep in thought. The music stopped, but Lynx insisted to others to keep the party going. Katie too stepped up to Lynx, who was sitting gazing into the fire. What happened? asked Katie. It was amazing. It got me asking questions I've never asked myself. I sat by the lake and nothing happened. Then one bird made a strange and eerie noise. I recognised it to be a loon bird. It was kind of creepy. Then spouts of water sprayed high in the air. Huge whales emerged from the water and began singing their songs. It was beautiful. The whales' music merged with vocals from parrots, which repeated the same phrase. Settle when the adventure finds you. Do you know parrots can dance to a beat? Katie, who was intensely listening to Lynx's experience, giggled at the sudden question and said, I haven't really thought about it. Can't other animals dance? Not many can to a beat. All the ones I saw were terrible, apart from the parrots. Lynx sniggered. What did you learn? I haven't. I think the lake wants me to discover something. After the whales submerged and the parrots flew away, the loon bird swam back across the lake. Its song seemed to send the final message to me. I'm still yet to understand what that is. Katie looked at Ajax to signal for his turn to visit the lake. He skillfully intertwined his lyrics to the beat to say to Katie, Yo, you know, I need to stay in this party, Katie. You go and make the flow. I'll be here waving my hands like I just don't care. Thanks to Katie's garage induction, she understood that as, you can go to the lake first. She walked slowly between the tall trees and parted the large green firs. She wasn't sure that she wanted to visit the lake, but her curiosity led her. She parted the final fern to reveal its wide, reflective waters. She walked to the lake's glittering edge and noticed indentations in the grass caused by previous visitors. She sat down on the bedded, pressed grass and stretched out her long legs. The lake emitted no noise. It was silent. The quiet and stillness triggered her mind to wonder. She began to reflect. She recalled her last memory on Earth. She remembered she was partying with Molly, Troy and Sam, the two guys they had just met. They said they didn't study at university, 
they were into other things that paid better. She was intrigued by them, probably because they took a quick liking to her. They were different from the run-of-the-mill guys. These guys seemed to be free and knew how to party. They both had taken dust and were on another level. That night she wasn't feeling anything but a numbness. She wanted to feel better and join in, so for the first time she asked to try some dust too. Molly warned her not to mix dust and drink together, but she didn't care. She just wanted to forget about everything and enjoy the night. She downed several shots and then took the dust. For a while, she felt on another level and danced with the others. The good feelings soon vanished and she felt dizzy. She tried to warn Molly, but she was too absorbed in Troy. She started to stagger and lose control. Molly and the others were no longer around. She was alone, stumbling into the toilet, wanting water. She passed out and then awoke, looking at her own self on the floor. Molly was Katie's best friend at university. The best could have easily been swapped, for only as she had not made any other girlfriends. She thought, why do I repel women and only attract guys who are just wrong-uns? Her mind began to unravel a complex web of hurt and turmoil. Her life, so far, had been a mixture of sadness and rejection, sprinkled with moments of happiness given by her mother and her newfound escapism. She didn't know herself because her feelings were connected to one another and were too hard to separate. She had days of constant remorse and she had no idea why the depressing feelings came and stayed for so long. She had tried to hide herself from them by dreaming of boys and listening to music, but often the feelings would find a way back in. She did try and study, but her brain wouldn't stop racing. She found it impossible to concentrate. She admired the girls at university who achieved high grades. They were constant in their purpose and had a routine and a structure to follow. She couldn't relate to them. She felt lost. A lady arose from the centre of the lake. Water drained from her light golden dress. Fairies with fans frantically fluttered around her and dried her with large fans. The lady had long, thick brown hair and seemed untroubled by her dampness. She shook her hair free of lake water. The lady was tall and slender and had dark eyes and a thin face with large lips coated in purple lipstick. She stared directly at Katie. Fairies in pairs hovered holding illuminating torches, which made her the focal point of the lake. Katie gave the woman her full attention. She felt connected. The woman began singing in a tranquil, captivating tune. She recognised the song to be Lana Del Rey's Born to Die song. She had only heard it once before on her student dormitory radio. She switched it off because it made her feel weird. Now she couldn't switch it off. Hurtful memories focused on her mind's projector. She remembered the hospital corridors in which she floated down. Her mother was taken into hospital with pancreatic cancer. When she was diagnosed, it was too late. One moment, she was fully in Katie's life, and then, in the next, she wasn't. She had floated down the corridor in shock to see her mother... Her last trip to the hospital was the last for her mother. Her mother grasped Katie's hand and she managed to say with the little energy she had left, Mummy loves you, darling. I always will. Katie was overwhelmed and her father led her away hysterically crying. Katie had never cried since. She was ashamed she had lost control. She regretted crying because she never saw her alive again. Her dad thought he was protecting them both from pain. His plan was to return a young, preteen Katie back to her mother in the morning, but she sadly passed away in the night. Katie had never outwardly grieved since. Katie's mother was special. Everyone warmed instantly to her. 
Her dad had said that trying to win a first date was like scoring a World Cup winning try, as she always had people to see and demanding her time. Katie's mum, Alice, worked several jobs to allow her to work at her real passion, which was dancing. Alice worked in an Italian restaurant during the day in which she served a lonely and lost Alessandro, Katie's father, who was trying to figure out how an Italian rugby player could make it in England, when rugby wasn't yet a professional sport. The story of how the two met is long and romantic, akin to a fairy tale, but Katie's dad was still yet to share this with her. When Katie walked with her, she felt like she was accompanying a celebrity. Often they would both stop and Alice would converse with passers-by. It seemed like she knew everyone. After her mother had been running errands, dropping groceries off and having cups of tea with elderly widows, she would take Katie for a treat, such as ice skating, to feed the ducks or even to scale a climbing wall in the park. She'd say, my beautiful little tomboy, and Katie would say, I am a girl who can do whatever boys can do. When her mother passed away, she lost a best friend and a mentor. Her deep emotional wounds had never healed and she hid in her own shadow because when her mother was alive, she felt warm and bright. These memories had never surfaced because she kept them locked away. Anything which may set them free, she avoided. One tear rolled down her cheek and tickled her. She quickly wiped it away and the voice said, You should have seen where it would go, the man said in a slow Southern American voice which resembled a 1950s movie cowboy. Katie turned to her right. To see next to her, standing knee-deep in the lake, was a large elderly man. His arms were stretched out, taking in the cool night breeze. I feel embarrassed that you saw that, Katie said awkwardly. Crying can help us open and close life's chapters, said the man, whilst massaging his belly that drooped over his swimming shorts. Katie paused to process what he meant. She quickly changed the subject and said, You are a little underdressed for this time of night. That's because I'm thinking of having a dip. It's been a long time. I used to be a champion swimmer, you know. Well, many moons ago. Why so long? I gave up swimming when I was 21, straight after I won the national championships. Why did you? Because then I was old enough to vote. Buy, drink, and take women out for dates. Oh, but I guess since then you've had a good life and a nice family. Good life, yes. Family, no. Like a prairie dog, I played the field too long. I missed out on love even when I found the right gal. I couldn't stop chasing others. It's not too late. You can still find love. I love your optimism, kid, but I'm finishing my book. I have no regrets or remorse. If I could rewrite my story, it would read very differently. Your story is just beginning. I am well into mine, and I'm behind. Ho, oh, ho, you're just a tadpole. So, young lady, how's your book gonna start? She paused for a thought. Usually older people only asked what she was to become. I can't get started, she said, sadly. Can't is not in the dictionary. How about you start using that wonderful optimism of yours? I can't make a start. I don't know where I'm going. Ah, paralysis by analysis. That's meant to be a middle-aged disease. You're so young. You can afford to go off in all directions, like a firework, and wherever your heart takes you. I guess you've never followed that good heart of yours.
I'm not a good-hearted person. I've been fooled too many times to be kidded, kid. You're a good person, all right. You're just out of practice. You seem to have faith in me. Why? You've never met me. I know a good un when I see one. Katie couldn't remember the last time someone who wasn't her mother saying she was good. She asked, If you could rewrite your book again, what would it say? I'd stop writing halfway through. Why? Because that's when I met Cassidy Sue, my only true love. I'd stop, because she'd write the rest for us. She had a heart like yours. Katie was becoming overwhelmed. The man talked with wisdom and resolve, which made her confront her sadness. He gazed forward. Without looking, he appeared to know she was sad. He calmly said, Honey, I know a tear for a loved one when I see it. People come and go. Sometimes they stay for chapters, and sometimes just for a sentence. But each leave a valuable message. I believe that our loved ones, past and present, never stop reading our book. Katie lowered her head and smiled. Another tear rolled down her cheek, and this time she let it go, and it rolled from her chin and into the starlit lake below. Time to get wet. I'm going to serenade you, darling, with two songs, and I hope you take a message from each. He drew a deep breath and sucked in his large belly. Springing from his heavy legs, he dived into the lake. Ripples expanded all around his large, buoyant body. While breaststroking towards the stage, he sung... Honey, your book is gonna be a swirl read. The man reached the platform floating in the lake. The lady was still standing patiently awaiting to sing once more. Hey there, little lady, mind if I take your place? The lady nodded in agreement and she dived without a splash into the lake and under its waters. The man took a while to heave himself up. Oh, I'm obviously not a nipper anymore. Oh, I'm like a stranded seal pup he said, whilst laying back flat on his back, putting one knee up and after many groans and moans he stood to his feet. I'm like an old dog who's lost his legs, but I'm here now. Katie watched intently from the lake's grassy edge. She was eager to hear what he was to sing. Sam, my good man, your company is needed to be a pal and bring a bottle of that fine Tennessee whiskey. A loud humming noise echoed all around the lake, Katie looked all around to see what it was. When she finally looked straight up, she saw a swarm of fairies struggling to carry a large grand piano. Balanced on top was a man dressed in a long-tailed tuxedo. Man the lady, he cried. The fairy swerved, struggling with its weight. We better hurry or we'll end up in the drink, he shrieked. The piano took a squiggle direction towards the stage and eventually landed. The man hopped off the top and greeted the other. Ah, it's good to see you. What we playing today? Two songs by Johnny Cash. The first will be Hurt. Feeling sorry for yourself again, are ya? Not as sorry as you, having to wear that. Oh, the tuxedo, yes. I'm in high demand now. No more saloons and drinking holes for me. Festavia has me set in the most high-class establishments. Ah, Sam, I'm truly pleased for you, but don't forget that music can be made anywhere and at any time. And for you, sir, so can Tennessee whiskey. And Sam slid the man a glass across his piano top. Serve just like I remember, down the wood and then down the hatch. Although, how much preferred it from the sweet Cassidy Sue, tuxedo or not, 
she was a prettier sight than you. Sam gave an old and fond smile at the man and took his place on the piano stool. Okay, Katie, let's get started. And with a whiskey in hand and weight rested on one leg, he began to sing. Katie's dad liked Johnny Cash. She never heard a Cash song because he only listened to him alone. His voice was slow and rumbling but strangely calming. The lyrics and melody seemed to convey and reveal his character. From his performance, Katie felt pain and remorse, but not anger or frustration. The message she was so desperately trying to find was escaping her. She thought she wasn't at the end of her life, so why was he choosing such a song for her? Towards the end, she began to realise that she carried the opposite feelings to him. She was starting her book with frustration, and hanging on to such emotions may finish her life like this. The song drew to an end with Sam finishing with a flamboyant piano solo. Just can't resist it, can you, Sam? Sam shook his head and laughed. Okay, darling, this is my last song. I can't stay after this, so I'll say goodbye for now. Will I see you again? She shouted, which echoed around the lake. Not like this, but who knows? The next time you smell Tennessee whiskey, you just might. The next Johnny Cash song I'll sing to you is called A Boy Named Sue. Katie felt her spirits lift. This so far had only opened doors to saddening moments. This song had made her feel upbeat. She listened more. The man kept a jovial smile throughout his performance. As she listened to the lyrics, she remembered how girls bullied her for having short hair. The man in the song experienced cruel bullying too. The song concluded to a funny end, with the son reconciling with his father. She enjoyed the song. It made her laugh, but she was confused about what the message was. She shouted... Hey, I don't get it. And mister, what's your name? The man smiled and bowed. My name is long forgotten, but let's hope, Katie, yours will be fondly remembered. She heard a chink of two glasses clinking next to her. She turned to see who it was, but no one was there. When she looked back across the table, everyone was gone. It was like no one had ever been there. She shouted, I don't get it, and who are you? And did this really happen? She sniffed and she smelt a whiff of whiskey. She smiled and said, OK, I'll try and figure this out. She stood staring into the now still and quiet lake. The man she'd nicknamed Mister had had quite an impact on her. His view on life was reassuring, even though his life was sad. How did he know her name and seem to know her? With just a look, it seemed like he knew everything about her. Katie had not had much contact with her grandparents. Her mum's mother and father had died before she could remember, and her dad's parents spoke in Italian. She rarely saw them, and when she did, couldn't speak enough Italian to connect. Mr. and John Greaves were the first elderly men she'd had an adult conversation with. Back on earth where she'd lived, young people did not have the elderly as friends. They were usually tucked away in care homes out of sight. She really wanted to speak more with Mr., as she knew he'd have so much more to share. She wished she had more time with him. Returning through the forest, she could hear lots of noises. It sounded like a circus had arrived. On her return to the camp, she saw a large crowd had gathered. Ajax was sweating and marching up and down on the spot. Garage crew, are we ready? Let's get low, rapped Ajax. A new crowd of a few hundred lowered their legs and started dancing in squat positions. The girls had straws hanging from their ears and the boys had gold and silver chains hanging over their short-sleeved t-shirts. Katie circled around the crowd to the front where Ajax and Prima were performing. 
Ajax saw Katie and asked Prima to hold the rave's attention with an instrumental. Hey, Katie, look, look! Katie looked at the revelling crowd and said, Where did they all come from? It's a garage rave, and they're all in the know. In the warm season, people of a middle age hunt them out. Just the sound of a cymbal or a snare and they're here. The party rocked late into the night and Katie and the others, except for Wraith, danced intensely. Wraith slept away soundly on blue.